Good morning, ACF Church. How are we doing this morning? Let's celebrate being together. 10 a.m. It is so good to see you. If you're with us online as well, welcome. We are so glad that you guys decided to join us for church this morning. Um, I'm going to get the elephant in the room out of the way. I am not Brian. So in case you were confused, I am not him. Uh, my name is Randolph, if we have not met before, and uh, I'm on staff here at ACF Church. I oversee our junior high youth ministry, and uh, man, it is so good to be with you all this morning. Um, real quick, uh, in case you, we, again, we have not met or maybe you haven't heard me before, I love feedback. Um, so if there's a point that maybe you are in agreement with or something you're like, man, okay, uh, that's the truth I need today, you can throw an amen out there, a preach. My personal favorite is come on. Somebody says come on, fires me up. Just don't, boom, come on. Um, but man, today we are going to be closing out our series through the book of Mark. And this has been 16 amazing weeks uh, studying the gospel of Mark. And our prayer for you all, not just today, but through this whole series as a staff, has been that this, this, this journey that we have been on of going through the book of Mark isn't just, uh, it doesn't just leave us with head knowledge. Because I think very easily we could show up to church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, we could show up to our groups and we leave with head knowledge. But our prayer instead has been that the truth of who Jesus is and the love that he has for you would seep deep into our souls, it would seep deep into our hearts, and that it would actually transform our lives. Again, we, we're not here to just gather, to, to learn some things for the sake of, of having head knowledge and leaving and acting like nothing is changing. No, we want to be transformed daily by the good news of Jesus. And so that is our prayer for you guys. So jumping into today, uh, I love my wife. Um, and if anybody knows me, they will know that I love my wife. And when we, come on, and when we first, <laughs> when we first uh, started dating, it was a little bit of a journey. Um, I remember asking her uh, if she would want uh, to date me. And I was met by the answer of no, uh, was the first answer I received, um, and I didn't stop. <laughs> and, uh, and so I asked another two times and received two more no's. Uh, and then eventually, she was getting ready to leave on this, this missions adventure through YWAM, uh, and eventually um, she decided, you know what, hey, actually... I, I want to, I think we can make this work. Uh, I, we were long distance for a little bit, and um, that was her thing. She's like, man, I, I'm pursuing after this thing. I don't know if I want uh, a guy in my life right now. Uh, we've been married for two and a half years now, 
Um, and so, yep, amen. God does move, amen. Um, but at the time, I had believed that for her to say yes to me was too good to be true. Like, I believed that, and even in those second uh, and the third time that I had asked, I, I believed that for her to say yes would be too good to be true. And so my initial question to you all this morning is, what in life have you believed to be too good to be true? Like, what do you look back on and you think, man, in this situation in my life, this did not turn out the way that I thought it was going to? What in your life has led to a redemption story maybe that you never saw coming? Some examples, maybe you graduated from that school or that college or that, that program that your freshman year you thought you were going to have to drop out. Like, you had no idea how you were going to make it through. And yet you look back now and, and you made it. Maybe you developed the deepest friendship that you've ever made after not knowing if you could get close to anyone. And just a few weeks ago, we had our ACF groups launch, where we watched over a hundred of you come and say, man, I need to find my people. Because something that we truly believe here at ACF Church is that you're not meant to walk through life alone. That life is better together. And so we watch you guys come out and say, man, I need community around me. How cool is that? Maybe your family had reconciliation after a huge blowout, and you were just like, man, I don't know if we're ever going to come back together again. Maybe you found that guy or that girl after believing that you couldn't ever be with anyone. Or maybe you thought, man, I, I just want to stay single as a Pringle for the rest of my life. I don't want to be with anyone. There's nobody that you can see yourself with. Y'all, I work in youth ministry. I got I to gotta, I gotta talk like a youth minister. So you're getting some of that this morning. Maybe you got the job promotion that you never thought that you were going to receive. Or maybe you experienced healing in your marriage after being on the brink of divorce. Maybe you recovered from that addiction that you never thought that you would be set free from. See, I think there's a different person also in the room this morning. Like this first person, they look back and they say, man, I didn't think it was going to be true, yet I look back and I see the truth of, of, of what ended up being. I see how real it ended up becoming. The reality of what was to be. And I think there's a different person in the room this morning as well. I think that you would be someone, maybe, who you look at your life where you are right now and you see nothing maybe but hardship and destruction and pain. Maybe you're in a season of hoping that you will break free from this moment that you are in. Yet even in your hoping, something good happening in your life seems maybe too good to be true. And so like what are, I, I don't know, I, I have a small list of things that maybe are, are uh, things that lead us to believing that things are too good to be true in our lives. The first one is our influences, like our peers and the news and social media. Man, I, I know that there's some of you guys in this room who maybe if you showed up to work and people actually knew that you went to church, they, they would say something like, man, you're believing a fairy tale. You're believing something that isn't real. Like, wh why would you waste your time with that? It's too good to be true. Maybe it's the past. 
Maybe you have a pain from your past that you've carried with you your entire life. And you think that, man, having victory over this area, having victory over this thing that maybe happened to you, or maybe this thing that you did, is too good to be true. Maybe it's your own thoughts. Like, our minds have such a way of making us cautious about things. Like, there's, there's optimists in the world, and then there's pessimists in the world, who maybe if you see something happening that, that looks like it could be a good thing, maybe you're the first one to, to look at what all can go wrong in that. Or maybe if you're in a season where something good is happening in your life, you're so quick to think, man, when is the next bad thing coming? Like, it's got to be right around the corner. I just want to be upfront with you guys that, like, today, my goal is not to heal your pain. I'm not capable of doing that. Praise God. I, I can't be your healer. Uh, my goal is not to give you a 30-minute pep talk to, to motivate you to, uh, emotionally about something, and you leave here just feeling good, and you wake up tomorrow morning, and there's nothing that changes. And I think it's social media and, and these different outlets we have, it's so easy for us to go and find things to just motivate us through a moment, yet they don't actually change our lives. They just push us through this, this little part of our day. Now, my goal today is to reveal the truth that we as broken human beings have a perfect, all-powerful, all-loving God who did something that seemed too good to be true for you and for me and for all of humanity. And so I have one point today. It's got like three parts to it, uh, but one main focus point today. And that's that the good news of Jesus went from being too good to be true to them being too good to not believe, and lastly, being too good not to share. The good news of Jesus went from being too good to be true, to being too good to not believe, and lastly, too good not to share. And so in order for us to pick up where, again, in Mark 16 this week, but in order for us to continue in Mark 16, we need to go back real quick to Mark 15. And last week, Pastor Brian talked about Jesus as he was on trial before Pilate. And Pilate was this Roman governor who, uh, who all of the, the religious leaders brought Jesus to in order to have him crucified. And if you remember, Jesus decided not to defend himself before Pilate because he knew that in order for him to accomplish the mission that he was sent for on earth, uh, he, he couldn't just defend his way out of this. And so Mark 15, 15 says that wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And so Barabbas was this guy, he was this notorious criminal. And, and he was this, this thief, he was this killer. And every year during the Passover, the, the government, the, the Roman governor would say, Man, I'm going to release a person back to you. And so he said, do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? And the people shouted, give us Barabbas. And when Pilate asked, what shall I do with Jesus? They shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now I know if you've been in the church for any amount of time, um, we have a language uh, that we can talk in called Christianese. Um, and this is where sometimes we can assume 
that things like crucifixion, that people like Barabbas, that even the name of Jesus is something that, and, or someone that all of us are to know about already. Uh, and so I don't want to make any assumptions this morning. Uh, and so I want to walk through what these next few moments looked like uh, in Jesus' life. And the first thing came scourging. And, and, and this was this punishment that was carried out uh, it, that, that was designed to just brutally maim the victim. And so what they would do was they would take this whip, and it had these different lashes at the end of it, and they would uh, infuse and embed these different pieces of bone and fragments and lead and glass, and it had the intention of not just leaving a scar or a flesh wound, but of peeling away uh, muscle and, and peeling away the skin. And so Jesus was flogged in this moment. Next came his mocking. And this is where these Roman soldiers brought this, this crown of thorns and this robe, and they placed it, they placed the crown on Jesus' head and this robe on him. And it wasn't to actually claim him as king, but it was to mock the authority that he was saying that he came with. He was saying, my, he, he said things all throughout his ministry like, my kingdom is not of this world. And so they mocked him for saying that. And they said, all hail the king of the Jews as they spit on him. And then lastly came his crucifixion, as if none of that was bad enough. And so crucifixion was the most brutal form of capital punishment during the Roman era. And what they would do is they would take a cross, and this is why, like, if you see people wearing a cross, or uh, you see uh, we have a cross outside, it's a symbol of our faith, really. But what they would do was they would take the victim and they would drive nails through his hands or his wrists and also through his feet. And they would place him on this cross and they would stand it upright and he would just be hanging there. And in order for him to take a breath, what he had to do was he had to push or pull himself up through his hands and his feet that had these nails driven through it in order to breathe because the way he was hanging, his diaphragm could not take in a breath. His lungs could not take in uh, a breath when he was just sagging. So in order to take a breath, he had to pull himself up and then he would lower himself back down. And he did this for six excruciating hours. In fact, the word excruciating, excruciating pain comes from crucifixion. And this was the punishment that our Savior endured for us. Mark 15, starting at 33, says that noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And shortly after this, Jesus breathed his last breath. And so then his body was eventually taken down from the cross and it was placed in this tomb. But the next day, following the crucifixion, was the Sabbath. And this was a day that was supposed to be holy and set apart to the Lord, to God. And so no work was supposed to happen on the Sabbath. So they had to very quickly place Jesus' body in this tomb, but they couldn't go through the, norm, the normal anointing rituals before the sabbath so where we pick up in our text for today is the next day following the sabbath starting in mark 16 verse 1 now something that we started doing in our our youth ministry uh is i'm going to say are you all ready to dive into scripture and you're going to repeat back saying let's go because something we believe is that going through scripture that diving into god's 
word should be exciting for us. This isn't just something that, again, we read for head knowledge, but it should be an exciting thing for us. So I'm going to say, are y'all ready to dive into God's word? And you're going to repeat back, let's go. All right? Are y'all ready to dive into God's word this morning? Let's go! That was so good. Come on. We don't even got to do it again. Verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early the fir- on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Amen. And so again, this next day after the crucifixion was the Sabbath. And so they they did not do the proper anointing rituals. They didn't have time to do it in time uh, before, before the Sabbath. So they showed up. In fact, the scripture says they showed up very early the next day. Which means that these women came eager to see the body of a dead man. And we know that they came to see a a dead Jesus in a tomb because they brought spices to anoint him. They weren't ready for an empty tomb. They weren't ready to see that this stone that, that had encased the tomb was gone and that Jesus would not be there. They came to the tomb to see one of their closest friends and anoint his body, but they came eager for the wrong thing. So again, my main point for today is that the good news of Jesus went from being too good to be true, to too good to not believe, and lastly, too good not to share. So for a moment, I want to unpack the reality that the resurrection of Christ was in this moment to these women too good to be true. To them, showing up to the empty tomb was, was not something they ever expected. They had zero expectation of it. And here's the thing. I think in their life in this moment, and I think in our lives today, there's two parts of the gospel. I think there's a believable part, and I think there may be sometimes, uh, whether maybe you're, you've never believed in Jesus before, Uh, Or maybe you just had doubts in your life. There's an unbelievable part as well. And see, the believable part is that Jesus died. Like, we don't just see in Scripture a reference to his death. In fact, so many other religions say there was a guy whose name was Jesus. And he did live on this earth. And he did die this death. There's so many other historical references that we can look at that say, man, Jesus was a real guy. But the unbelievable part of the gospel is that Jesus rose. And this can be so hard to believe sometimes. Like they doubted that anything miraculous could have taken place. 
Even though three separate times during his ministry on earth, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go die. Like, I, I, I am going to do this thing. I'm going to give my life for my sheep. But at the same time, I'm going to raise back up into new life. And I need you guys to believe it today. And yet these women showed up. His, some of his closest friends. And they showed up to an empty tomb, not expecting it to be empty. And I just think, man, like, even if, and maybe you're not a believer in this room this morning, and I just want to say we're so glad that you are here. Whether this is your first time in church or your first time with us online or uh, maybe you've been coming to church for a long time because uh, maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend told you to come or your parents have you here. And, but you're like, man, I'm not really bought into this whole Jesus thing yet. Wouldn't you want it to be true? Like, what do you want the good news of Jesus to be true? What do you want there to be a Savior who didn't just die for you, but he rose again? What do you want to believe that there's a God who loves us so much that he'd be willing to sacrifice his one and only son for us? What did you want to believe that the same God, that same God is powerful enough to raise him to new life? So that he can have a relationship with you today? What do you want to believe the truth that there is an almighty God and that same almighty God isn't just the king on the mountain but the closest friend in the valley? He didn't just save you for the next life but for this one as well. I think these women wanted that to be true. But in their doubt, what they were met with was the truth that would bring them out of their doubt. And the truth is that Mary was the first one to doubt, and also the first one to be told about the resurrection. And I just think that that is so crazy. Like, women these days are not seen in the same way that women in biblical times were seen. They were not seen as people with authority. They were not seen as leaders. They were not seen as, some, uh, as people whose word could be taken for face value. And yet, isn't that just like God to reveal himself first to the least of these? Like the first person that Jesus revealed himself to as Savior, as the Messiah on earth, was a woman. Isn't that just like the character of God? Say, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't come for those who don't need a doctor, but for those uh, who, who, who need healing. And those who are willing to surrender to it. Man, these women were the first doubters. And they also became the first missionaries. These women became the first ones to be told to go. So let me just say this. Your doubt doesn't disqualify you, but you shouldn't stay there. And the truth is that these women found out that the truth was actually too good not to believe. And so let's dive into that a little bit. Like, it's so crazy that the angel showed up and revealed this empty tomb. Like, this wasn't a vision. This wasn't a dream. They weren't in some weird trance. Like, this was the physical reality. It's like being told that, like, in the next building, in our office building, Jesus is buried. And you walk out, and you go over maybe to pick up your kids from Trailblazers, and you go over, and Jesus isn't where he said he was supposed to be. 
Like this was the reality that they were facing in this moment. He wasn't there. And if you're a believer in this room, you have a story of a stone that was rolled away in your life to reveal an empty tomb. And if nothing else, if you're a believer, you have the gift of your own salvation, which is so powerful. And I think we can so often be so caught up in the moments of hardship and pain in our life that we forget about the gift of our own salvation. Let's come back to that place. Maybe it's a healing from an addiction, or it's a healed marriage, or it's children who came to know the Lord. Man, I love it when we do baptisms and you parents come up and baptize your kids. Like, that's just not, that's not just for, like, professional Christians, like, people who work in the church to do, like, that is your calling. If you're a baptized believer, you can come and baptize. And so, man, we, we would, we'd love to see where maybe you have an influence in someone's life that leads them to asking you if you would baptize them. Maybe it's God's provision is the stone that was rolled away in your life. As in, you've been in a place where you were broke as a joke, maybe, living paycheck to paycheck. Or maybe you didn't have, your, your provision came in the form of a friendship of some kind, some sort of relationship when you just felt like you were all alone, and yet God provided, as he always does. But maybe today you're afraid of something. And I think that we can be afraid of what it means to be a new creation in Christ. See, here's the thing. When we begin a relationship with Jesus, we believe that the old is gone and that the new has come in our lives. And that's what baptism signifies. But something I see way too often, man, and, and I just get so frustrated with this, is people who are so quick to claim that they are sinners and so slow to claim that they have been made new. And I get frustrated because it's my story. I was so quick to still be giving myself in to, to alcoholism and giving myself in to peer pressure and giving myself in to the things of this world that wanted to satisfy me. And I'll just say, man, like, I guess that's why we have the grace of Jesus. For just a broken guy like me who just, I don't know, I just had to do it again. But I can do it because God just forgives me, right? Like, if you, I, I hear so many people say they love the book of Romans. If you read, like, the whole first half of Romans, it's basically Paul saying uh, that just because we have the grace of Jesus doesn't mean we need to still live like we're in our past. It doesn't mean we need to live like that sin that held us captive for so long still has control over us. Your old life is dead and gone, and we need to walk into it like it's true. And in Matthew 28, Jesus commands us through the authority that had been given to him to share the good news and to make disciples around the world. And that's why the good news of Jesus is too good not to share. It's too good not to share. If your life has been transformed by the gospel, by the living Christ, it is too good not to share. And yet I still think there's some fears in our life that hold us back from sharing. Maybe for you it's the fear of the opinions of others. Maybe you get so scared of what are people going to think if I actually tell them about who Jesus is in my life. Maybe it's fear that you're believing a lie. Maybe you have some doubts that you're working through in your faith. And 
Man, something that we, I I just love about our culture here at ACF is uh, that you can bring your doubts here, and and we'd love to walk with you through those. Maybe you have fear of hope. Your your, your fear to hope for it to be real, and you're you're scared that to speak about this hope into somebody else's life because you've been so let down by things before, and you think nothing good can come from it. Maybe it's fear that your voice won't matter or fear of your own story. And man, I just, I, working in student ministry, I've seen students so often say that my story, it's just not powerful enough. Like Randolph, if only you knew I grew up in the church. I, I've never done a bad thing. I never cheated, drank, smoked, took that pill. I never did those things before. So how do I have a story worth sharing? Let me just say this, this is for all of us in the room, if you believe that apart from Jesus you were supposed to have eternal separation from God, and that because of Jesus and the finished work of Him, not of anything we could do, not of, not of anything that we did do, but of the finished work of Christ, if you believe that that is the thing that brings you back into relationship with God, your story is worth sharing. Your story is worth sharing. It's not anything we can do or not do anyways. That's the gospel. We can't be good enough. We can't be bad enough to earn or to not earn the grace of Jesus. It was poured out for all of us. Maybe you have the fear of feeling unworthy. And man, I'm sure these women women in this moment probably felt unworthy to be the first one to be told about the resurrection. Man, what happens when we say no to the fear that's inside of us and yes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to share with the people he's entrusted us with? But man, as we get ready to close out today, like, I, I can't help but ask the question, like, why Peter? Like, the angel came and said, tell the disciples and Peter. Why was he singled out? See, here's the thing about Peter. Peter was the most zealous disciple. Like, he was the biggest advocate vocally for Jesus. Like, he was the extrovert of extroverts. Like, he was the one who was always saying, Jesus, I I will gladly lay down my life for you. All these things that you're speaking about, like, there ain't no way that that death is going to conquer you. And there's no way you can lay your life down, like, you are the Lord who is the most fired up. And yet also besides the betrayal of Judas, Peter was also the first one to abandon Jesus and deny ever knowing him. See, in their last meal together before the crucifixion, Jesus had told Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows, before morning. And then Peter did But what we're about to discover in the truth about Peter's life and our own story is that you'll never fall far enough for the love of Jesus to not reach you. There's a lot of double negatives in there, I know. You'll never fall far enough for Jesus to not reach you. John 21, Jesus had already appeared to his disciples once and he was about to appear again. He says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And when they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. 
And so after Jesus came back, he had already even revealed himself to the disciples, but yet they didn't, they didn't know what to do with this. I'm sure they had their doubts still. Like, are we seeing a ghost? What, what is the reality of this? And so what do they do? The thing they already knew how to do anyways. Jesus found them when they were fishing, and the fishing they will go back to. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And so I can only imagine being Peter in this moment. Like, you've seen Jesus once, and yet here he is appearing again. In the moment that, man, these fish got caught and he, he, got, he, he got revealed to him that that was Jesus on the shore. Like, I would be hiding. I would be below the boat hiding. I'm like, Jesus, you don't want anything to do with me. You don't want me. You don't want to come back from me. I can't let him see me. I'm not worthy of being in his presence anymore. Like, I denied knowing him after how zealous after how how fearless i claimed to be for him i can't be seen by him he doesn't want to be near me and yet what does peter do in this moment peter jumps out of the boat peter recognized that he needed to jump out of the boat it was the fastest way to reach Jesus. Instead of hiding or just standing by on the boat waiting for something to happen, he knew he needed to be to, to, to take that step forward. Jesus had taken the steps to meet him where he was. And Peter had to jump out. Say, I'm gonna take my steps to review now. My question to you today is: what is the boat that you of insecurity? Is it the boat of opinions of others? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it shame? Is it anger? What boat do you need to leave behind in order to deeply know Jesus and to make him known? Deeply know him. here's the other thing about Peter in this moment I can't even fathom because I would be thinking as I'm swimming to shore, what is Jesus going to say to me? What is he going to say to me? And if, if I were Peter, in my mind, I don't know some of the thoughts that would be crossing in my mind would be like, Peter, you were one of the first ones that I called I healed your mother-in-law you, you walked on water after I commanded you to. You saw me silence the wind and the waves. You saw me at the transfiguration. How could you, Peter? 
You saw me heal the broken and the sick. You saw me bring a little girl back to life. How could you deny me? You were with me in the upper room. You took communion with me, Peter. You followed me so zealously. You followed me so eagerly. And yet you denied me, Peter. How could you? How could you? I think these next four words that Jesus says are four of the most powerful words in Scripture. You know what Jesus says in this moment? He doesn't say any of that. He says, come, let's have breakfast. (laughs) Come on. Come on. He didn't say any of that. What he did do, my friends, he immediately called Jesus back into community with him. He didn't wait. He didn't make Peter earn it. He immediately reinstated him and commanded him to go and take care of his sheep. Some of us, man, we've been living as a reflection of our sin for way too long. And we need to step into living as a new creation. And the truth that the God of the universe wants a deep and intimate and personal and loving relationship with you today. And that there's nothing you can do to earn it. That's the gospel. A few weeks ago, we kicked off our youth culture school year with the worship night, and we had a board in the back of the room, and we said, students, if you have somebody in your life that you're not just like, you're not just uh, maybe thinking about and hoping that they come to know Jesus, but somebody that you are actively praying for, that you are actively pursuing after this year, for them to come to know Christ, we want you to write those names on the board. As a symbol of you saying, man, I, I, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm, this year's going to be different. I'm going to be different this year. And I see names like Lucas, and I see names like Sadie, and I see names like Silas, and Isaac, and Corbin, and Landon, and Ryland, and Zoe, and Grant, and also names like Papa, and Father, and Mother, and Brother. These are their friends and their families their their schoolmates, their classmates, their teachers. They're saying, man, this year's going to be different. And it's not that I have the ability to save them, but Christ in me is so powerful, and I'm going to step into that this year, because he is too good not to share. And this generation, man, they are leading the way in that. And we need to believe that today, man. We need to stop degrading Gen Z, and we need to start pouring into them because they are leaders and they're so they're leaders to me in so many ways so my two questions i want to leave you with today first one is do you believe it do you believe that the news of jesus is actually good news and do you not just believe it intellectually is it not just 
something you've heard about growing up, but somebody that has actually transformed your life. If you've never stepped into that before, you're going to have an opportunity today to step into that relationship. The second question I have for you is, will you share it? Will you share the good news? If you believe it, you're called to share it. And we believe that there are people in our lives who are counting on our yes. They are counting on our obedience. And we could so easily say, man, it could be somebody else. God, won't you just send somebody else? No, he sent you and you and you and you and you and you and you. He sent you to tell them. Will you share it? We have some action steps at the bottom of your card. And man, as we step into a time of worship here, um, I'd love for you guys to fill that out. You can drop it in the box behind you on your way out. But man, as we get ready to pray, I'd love for all of us to just sit and, and think about somebody in our life. Whether it's a family member or a friend, co-worker, maybe it's a leader in your life or a subordinate that you have. But you're saying, man, I'm going to be on mission for this person this year. And in fact, I'm not going to wait, but I'm going to be on, on mission for them this week. Here am I. Send me. So as we pray, I'd love for you to just think about that person and, and pray for them even as we step into this time of worship. God, thank you for today. God, you love us so much you love us way too much God, to leave us where we are you love us way too much to not just move in us but through us so God I pray for the person in this room right now who is making that decision maybe for the first time say yes to following you. And God, would your voice of love be the loudest thing in their minds today? God, would you put people in their lives to walk with them? God, on this journey of following you every day. And God, I just pray for the person on our hearts. I pray for the person on our minds right now. God, that doesn't know you. Lord, would you encourage us? Would you give us the courage to speak up about you? And would we recognize that it is not because uh, of any power that, um, God, we have separate from you, but it's your authority inside of us that we can go and we can proclaim your good news. Jesus, we love the people in this room, but you love them so much more than we ever could. And so God, I pray that God, that truth would rest in them today. God, that we wouldn't leave with just a head knowledge of your love, but we would be transformed by it today. God, we would know you and make you known. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. In your name that we pray, uh, commit all these things to you. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.